Dr. Blankenship, a long time ago, the Lord and I settled the issue. Wherever he leads, I go. And to this day, that commitment continues to be the driving force in my own life and that of my family. Those are the words that Ken Litton began his letter of resignation. A calling, wherever God leads, I will go. The ministry is not a profession you choose. God does it for you. And those words are important. The possibilities of vocational service are not our own. They are God's call and God's ministry. When God initiates the call to ministry, our only choice is to whether say yes and follow immediately or live in disobedience. The ministry is not simply a vocational choice. It is, sweet friends, a lifetime commitment. The book of Mark, chapter 1, beginning with verse 16 through 20, Mark 1, what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ? Now, we want to honor Ken and Carol. We want to share with them how much our appreciation has grown over the years. In that, we want to understand what does it mean when Ken shares with us that wherever he leads, I will go. Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 16, and I would ask you to stand in honor of God's Word. Mark 1, beginning with verse 16. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting nets into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Please be seated. Let me ask you a question. How many lakes are there in Israel? How many lakes are there? Oh, maybe I could say this. How many lakes can you name in Israel? Well, hopefully you can name two of them. What's the largest lake? Now, wouldn't you like to to visit a place on a lush vacation and its name is the Dead Sea. Wouldn't you like to go there? Like vacationing in a funeral home, right? The Dead Sea. There's a reason it's called the Dead Sea. What's the second largest lake? 
Sea of Galilee, that's right. What's the third lake? Matter of fact, it's not a lake, it's a marshland. Used to be a lake in 1950. They drained it because of the mosquito problem. Eula. A marshland. Now, the Jewish historian, first century Josephus, says this. There were nine good-sized communities around the Sea of Galilee. Nine communities. Right now there's Tiberias, but in that day there were nine. And on any given day, there were as many as 230 boats on the lake in the first century fishing. Jesus, following his baptism and his wilderness temptation, his public demonstration in Galilee, he begins his first act in ministry to gather a team together. His ministry was to reach the world with a gospel that God had given him. But how would he do that? So on this early morning, on this hot, sultry Galilean day, when Andrew and Simon were finishing their long, hard labor of fishing, fished all night, and now they were in their boat, they began to look and see a man. Now the thing about fishing is this. Fishing is fun when it's a hobby, but it's hard work when it's a livelihood, and that's the livelihood they had. Ken, when I think about you going to Pensacola in that area, I asked one of our members that lived there, what's the weather like in Pensacola? He said, well, Pastor, I can tell you what it's like for five months out of the year. And I said, well, well, what is it? And he said, well, this, five months out of the year, it's 90 degrees or more, 30% chance of showers in the afternoon or evening. So that's what you got to look forward to, all right? I doubt you'll miss the sleet and the snow here. The sea was calm. The water lapped gently against the gravel beach. The sunshine was so bright that the fishermen had to squint their eyes. But as they looked in the eastern horizon, they saw the young Nazarene teacher come. And then they heard his words as he said to them, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. The word that is used there, come after me, in the Greek means this, once and for all. Dear friends, please understand something. If you hear the call of God, if God calls you to follow him through Jesus Christ our Lord, it is a call once for all. You don't fall out of his grace. He said to them, come, which meant this, you will be part of me forever. And that is the call. He didn't say to them, come follow me and take all the rules and do everything I say. He didn't say, come follow me and be like the pastor. He didn't say, come follow me and join a church. He said this, follow me. Dear friends, our faith is about a relationship not a religion. The call of Christ is a personal call. It is a call given from Jesus to individuals. It's not hard sell. It's not an ultimatum. It's never forced. If you want to come along, now is the time. This is your opportunity to say yes or say no. For some of you who have heard that for years, And every time you heard the call of Jesus, you have said no. If you choose to follow Jesus, your life 
will make an eternal difference. It doesn't mean if you're in professional ministry or not. If you follow Christ, if you give your life to him, when he calls, he will use your life for his eternal plan. Why should I follow Jesus? What are the reasons that I should give my life to him like these disciples gave their life to this Galilean rabbi? Well, the first is this. If you give your life to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will move inside of your life and prepare you as his follower. You see, the question is, if I give my life to Jesus, if I follow Jesus, I won't be adequate. I won't know exactly what to do. But sweet friend, if you give your life to him, then that spirit that he has given us will prepare us. And how will that be done? Well, Jesus shows us how it would be done. You you see, what he'll do is he'll begin to expose you to God's power. When Jesus called Simon and his brother Andrew, James and John, what he said is, come, see what I'm about. See what God is doing in me and through me. Last Friday, I took my wife on a date. We went to the movies. We saw the movie Breakthrough that happened in Wentzville, in St. Charles, right? About the boy that was under the water for 20 minutes, and yet he survived. That movie was all about one thing, come and see the power of God. And one of the most dramatic moments in the movie is when the doctor, the expert, says to the mother, This should not be. He should not be alive. And then he said the words, this is a miracle. Sweet friends, have you come with Jesus to see? To see his power and his glory? Jesus exposed them to the power of God. They saw the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers healed. And it changed their lives. The supernatural power of God moving in the life of his son. Now let me ask you, anybody here ever seen God heal someone? Anybody here because of the power of God or a loved one that you hold close to your heart and the only reason they are here is you have seen the power of God move in the life of that one? You see, sweet friends, it's not just Simon and Andrew who have seen this. We've seen it. You've seen it. And when Jesus calls us, he calls us to come and see his power, his glory. And Jesus has been doing that from the very beginning. In Jeremiah chapter 1, 4 through 8, the scripture said, Then the word of the Lord came to me. That's Jeremiah. This is before Jesus. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you to be the prophet to nations. You want to talk about the unborn? You want to talk about the baby in the womb? Does God know them? Are they real human beings? The scripture says. Now, please understand something. I'm not here to condemn anyone. All of us in our past have had things that we wish we wouldn't have done. But when you want to talk about a baby, God knows them by name. God has already planned for them a life. 
Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am a youth, for you shall go to all to whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Now hear this. How does God, through the Holy Spirit, train his disciples? Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. What does it mean to follow God's call? It means no matter the obstacle you face, no matter the difficulty, the Lord God will be with you. You do realize out of these disciples, only one of them had a natural death. All the others were sacrificed, were killed, were executed. But as they hung upside down on a cross, God was with them. And when you go to chemotherapy, God will be with you. If you're called. If you responded to the call. Matthew eleven two 2 through 5 says, And when John had heard in prison about the works of Jesus, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? This is Jesus' cousin. I shared about his words, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So are you really the Christ, Jesus? And Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, raised up. And the poor have the gospel preached to them. That's the power. That's what Jesus exposed those disciples to. And sweet people of Parkway Baptist Church, you've been exposed to it too. Everyone here has seen God's power, has seen him move in our lives. And Jesus says, come and see more. John 1.39 says, and he said to them, come and see. And they came and saw where he stay and remained with him that day. Are you willing to answer the call? Are you willing to say, no matter where you lead, no matter what I have to go through, Lord God, I'm prepared. I'll follow you. Why? Why would I do that? Why would I yield myself to the Lord? Why would I give myself to him? Because he loves you. Because everyone in this room who has answered the call of Jesus Christ has experienced God's love. Galatians 2.20 says this about our life. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by what? The faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Dear friends, God will never ask you to do anything more than he has already done through his son. And, and no matter what you go through, if you follow him, he will give you the strength you need. He will be with you. Why should I respond to that love? 
Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says, But God, who in his rich mercy, because of his great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You see, following Jesus means that he will empower. His spirit will abide in you. No task will be too big, too hard, too difficult. For God is with you. And he will extend his love to cover your whole life. Every area. So if I become a child of the king, if I say yes to the call, what happens to me? John 1, 3 through 1 and 2. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are the children of God. You see, you answer the call. You say yes to Jesus when he walks by you. You give your life completely to him, and he will make you God's child. Never to be tossed aside, never to be disowned, you will belong to the Father. Following Jesus means the Holy Spirit prepares his believers, his followers. It also means this, that Jesus chooses his followers. In John 15, 19, the scripture says, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Dear friends, understand something, please. The calling begins not with you, not you deciding I'm going to follow Jesus. It begins with God. It begins with Christ. Jesus initiates the call. We did not choose him. He chose us, John 15, 19. Why should we love him? The scripture says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first, while we were yet sinners, loved us. We're responding to his love. Salvation. There is no salvation unless Jesus calls us. In John 6, the scripture says, No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last days. Dear friends, it's not about a human religion. It's not about trying harder. It's not about living up to God's expectations so that God calls you. Is that God looked at you while you were yet a sinner, and he said, Jesus... That's our child. And where does God call? Where did he call these boys? We've had some people doing some work at our house. They've been there now for about four weeks. Can I tell you something? I am so tired of carpenters right now. I'm so tired of walking through chalk I'm so tired of hearing saws and hammers. 
You know how hard it is to put a sermon together when in your house you're having the reenactment of the crucifixion? When does Jesus call in the course of life's everyday happenings? You see, they were on the job. They were teaching at school. They were working out reports. They were spending time on the computer. And Jesus called them then. It's interesting, in verse 16 through 19, the scripture says, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew. That, that Greek word saw doesn't mean a casual glance. It means that Jesus gazed intently at them. Edward Switzer says, discipleship always begins when Jesus is looking at a person and he calls him. You see, Jesus is watching us. He saw these boys at work. And he saw them as more than just fishermen. He saw them as disciples and learners and those who would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saw their potential. He saw their power. He saw how he could use them as instruments of the grace of God. And that's exactly what he sees in you. He sees your motivation. He sees your potential. He sees how he can use your life to further the kingdom of God. He sees you as one of his children. And again, in Romans 5, 6, it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While you underachieved, he watched you. He gazed at you. So, sweet friends, what does that mean? That means wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you better be on the lookout for Jesus, for he's coming for you. Did you hear that? Because we put Jesus on Sunday morning in this holy place, and yet Jesus found them at the shoreline after a whole night of exhaustion, mending a net, so they could fish again. He's looking for you. He loves you. Not only his coming to call, but his coming again. Matthew 13, 32 through 37 says this, but of the day and hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor only the Father. What does that mean? He's coming again. And no matter your charts, no matter who you're listening to on the radio or TV, you don't know. Take heed, watch, pray. For you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going into a far country who left his house, gave authority to his servants to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, the crowning of the rooster, or in the morning. Lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Dear friends, why should I answer the call? Because Jesus is watching me and he's coming back. The Holy Spirit prepares us. The Lord Jesus chooses us. And Jesus trains those who follow him. 
Look at the simple words. And I will, what? Make you. I am so glad this morning that uh, I showered, I shaved, I did my hair, I did my deodorant. I made myself, all right? Because when I just got up, I didn't look this good. Jesus made a great investment in you. Who's responsible for making me into a disciple? Who's responsible for being with me if I answer the call? Jesus is. He assumes full responsibility. Our manual to follow him is the Bible. Proverbs 7, 2 says, keep my commandments and live, and my law is the apple of your eye. Jesus assumes full responsibility. Follow me and I will make you. Not seminary, not Sunday school class, not listening to the pastor go on and on and on. I will make you. I bear the responsibility. When Jesus calls you, he said, I will train you. And the only reason you're not trained is because you responded, no. The Holy Spirit teaches us what we should do. Matthew 10, 19 through 20. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you shall speak. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. But Pastor, I, I just couldn't do that. I, I, don't, I don't know how I would handle that. Pastor, I, I, Pastor, then you make God a liar. I, I, I just couldn't follow Jesus. I just couldn't live up to his standards. I just, you make God a liar. Gee, when I get to heaven, what I'm going to do is just debate with God and say, God, you didn't understand how bad I had it. You make God a liar. He says, you answer my call, and I will equip you. So all the excuses are worth nothing. Dear friends, understand something. Being a Christian is the most intimate thing you can do. It links your heart with his heart, his ways with your ways. Now, do you become perfect? No, he's the only perfect one. But you link your life to him. Your wagon is hitched to his. And Jesus will, please hear this, Jesus will never ask you to do something he has not already done. Why? Because Jesus sets the example. John 13, verses 12 through 17 say, So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment, and sat down again. He said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. There's nothing Jesus is going to ask you to do that he hasn't done himself. 
There's nothing that Jesus is going to ask you to do that he won't give you the power to do. Again and again and again, Jesus exposed his disciples to his example. And sweet friends, he's working that in our lives right now. He goes before us. The Holy Spirit prepares us, Jesus chooses us, Jesus trains us, and Jesus expects results from us. Become fishers of men. This is not an easy chair relationship. How do we fulfill his expectations? One, search the scripture to grow spiritually. How do I deal with sin in my life? Bible says this, Psalms 119 verse 11, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. You want to know how to keep out of sin? You know how to put pornography behind you? You know how to put gluttony away? Spend time in the word of God. Because as you spend time in the word of God, you draw close to Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit moves inside of you. How do you sustain your walk with Jesus? How, how do you keep on going day in and day out? Matthew 4, 4 says, but he answered and he said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. The Bible feeds us. It teaches us. It protects us. It guides us. Read the scriptures. That's how you meet his expectations. You pray. You know God's will by praying unto the Lord. The scripture tells us in Mark 1.35, later in the passage, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left the house and went off to a solitary place to pray. He's the son of God. Why in the world would he go to pray? He knew everything. Two of our grandchildren have been gone from us now for two weeks. And even though the carpenters are in the house and the house is torn up, I miss little feet and messes on the floor. Not a whole lot, but I miss it some. <laughs> Jesus went to his father because he loved his father. Do you love God? He prayed not out of duty because some gray-haired pastor told you to. Because when he went in prayer, he talked to God. And he loved talking with God. Anybody here ever noticed that women talk more than men? Anybody ever heard that? Why do they do that? Main reason is because they love. And they want relationships to be right. Prayer was Jesus' way of being nourished. It was his way of getting recharged. To come apart, to draw close to God. Dear friends, how we live our lives bring results. 1 Thessalonians 5, 14 through 22 says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. That's how we're to live our life. You want to know what God expects of us? That's what he expects. To comfort the faint-hearted, to uphold the weak, to be patient with all. See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourself and for all. You want to know what God expects of me? There it is. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecy. Test all, hold fast what is good, abstain 
from every form of evil and love the family of faith. A new commandment I give you, said Jesus. Love one another as I have loved you. This is not a place to gossip about one another. If you have a fault or a difficulty with someone, you follow Matthew 18, you go to them. And one of the greatest marks of Parkway Baptist Church is that for 25 years we've followed that. So, sweet friend, get yourself in line. If you got a problem, you better go to them. Because you see, God's expecting, Jesus is looking for a family that loves one another. He's looking at Parkway Baptist Church. Romans 12, 10 through 13, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoice in hope, patient in tribulation, continue steadfast in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, giving hospitality and witness to the lost. You see, when I first read the sermon, you thought that's all it was going to be about. But Jesus is looking for results. He's looking for us to share with the lost. Acts 1, 7 through 8. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Witness. That's simply declaring the gospel to unbelievers. That's what he expects. And that's what the call is all about. That's what God has shared with us. And that's what we need to be about. George Mueller was a great preacher of the gospel in the 1800s. He ran an orphanage, over 100,000 children. Hear that. He established over 100 schools. In the time when there weren't orphanages and children weren't cared for, George did. He had a list. There were five of his friends who had never answered the call. And every day, he prayed for those five friends. After a few months, one of those five friends came to Jesus. Ten years later, two others were coming to Christ. It took 25 years before the fourth man was saved. Now, every day he prayed for those five. Mueller preserved in prayer until his death. And after his death, 52 years after he'd been praying for this individual. When he died at 78, at his funeral, the fifth individual gave their life to Christ. Answer his call. He may lead you to a place you never thought of. If he calls you, will you respond? That is your choice. But God is watching. And Jesus has expectations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord.
for the commitment of Ken and Carol. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that they're willing to go wherever you lead, and they will follow you. And so, Lord, my prayer is this, that we would see that example. And we, as a congregation, the children of God, would do likewise. Let it be so. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.